This is from the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 6. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Be seated, please. When Jesus prayed for the kingdom of God to come, he wasn't the first. One of the well-known prayers of the day, called Elenu, I had this verse, that the kingdom of God would come speedily forever, and that every knee would bow to God. Now, that prayer had been around a while when Jesus came on the stage. Some scholars even say it goes back to Joshua, who lived 11 or 12 or 1,300 years before Jesus. Suffice to say, people of God had been praying for a long time for God's kingdom to come. Which raises the question, why did they do that? And one answer might be because they looked around and did not see the kingdom of God coming in its fullness. They looked around and saw a lot of people who didn't worship God, who didn't live according uh, to uh, the plan that God and the hopes that God had for them. They perhaps saw what C.S. Lewis saw when in the middle of the 20th century he said that God's people here on earth live in the middle of enemy-occupied territory. It seems that in our world there are more people who do not acknowledge the God of the universe than those who do acknowledge God. So one thing was they looked around and didn't see the kingdom in its fullness. But the other thing, which is very obvious, but I think it's worth stating this morning, is they believed deeply within that God was in fact the king of the universe. You don't ask for the kingdom to come if you do not believe in the king. So this morning I thought we'd think about that for just a moment, because if indeed our God is the king, then who is not the king? Well, in Jesus' day, I think you could safely say this. Herod was not the king. Herod thought he was the king. Herod thought he was the king before Jesus was born. His sons thought they were the king over Judea and Galilee while Jesus was living. They thought if you held political power, then you had authority over people's lives. They must have been surprised to find out they weren't the king. Caesar must have been surprised to find out he wasn't the king. It is interesting to me. I don't think it's coincidental that the very year that Octavian Caesar, Caesar Augustus, announced that he was the savior of the world, that Jesus then soon after came to the earth in the form of a child. It was as if heaven was raising their hand going, oh, wait a minute, excuse me, you're not the king. must have come as a surprise to all those who thought if you had political power, then you had the authority to rule. It must have come as a surprise to Mammon that he was not the king. Now, there's no sense that we know that the Greeks and Romans had a god called Mammon, but Jesus uh, personified Mammon. A Mammon was the god or the spirit of money, that money made everything go around, and that the person who had the most money and the most treasures uh, was the most blessed person. That money would provide security. That money would be all that you would need and all that really mattered. It's interesting that the early church didn't think Mammon was a god. They thought Mammon was the name of a demon. But either way, this god or demon must have been surprised to find out that money doesn't make everything go round. And that money is not the bottom line of our existence on earth. Venus, 
also known as Aphrodite, must have been surprised to find out that she was not the goddess that ruled the earth. You see, many people bow the knee to Venus or Aphrodite. Uh, They bow the knee to the idea that the important thing that matters is our desirability. That others find us desirable and that if we find someone else desirable, that we uh, be able to have relationship uh, with them. This notion of romantic love making everything uh, else pale in comparison. Uh, That is what got pushed from Aphrodite's temple from the temple of Venus. She must have been surprised that the people of God thought there was something more important in life than our romantic relationships. But it seems in our day that Aphrodite has just moved her uh, residence and her headquarters from Mount Olympus to Madison Avenue or to Hollywood or to San Antonio or to our neighborhood or to our schools where, where we teach by example that the important thing is that we be found attractive to other people. What a surprise it must have been to her to find out that wasn't the most important thing to the people of God. There must have been a great surprise in the temple of Asclepius. Asclepius, I introduced you to a few weeks ago. He was the god of medicine and healing and in a sense ran the Mayo Clinic of the day in a place called Pergamum in Asia Minor, what is Turkey today. And Asclepius thought the important thing was your physical health. And because that was so important, Asclepius wanted you to come in his temple, and if you would bow the knee and fork over the funds, then he would consider taking your case. Interestingly, Asclepius and his priest uh, stayed away from a lot of difficult cases, including they always turned away pregnant women. They were never admitted into the temple. That was too great a risk for them to handle. But they taught and believed that it was your physical health. That mattered most of all. And how often in our day do we say, well, at least I've got my health, or as long as you've got your health. Really? Did Paul have his health? We're told that likely he didn't. Did Jesus have his health in the last days of his life? Did Jeremiah ever have his health? Or Jacob who walked with a limp? Health is important, but it must have come as a surprise to Asclepius that there were more important things in life than health. And it certainly came as a surprise to Mars, the god of war, that that he wasn't the most significant, that praying to him and winning the battle was not the most significant thing. You see, the thing about Mars, though, that was so interesting, also known as Ares, is he didn't care who won as long as you fought. He didn't care which side won as long as blood was spilled. And so when people prayed to him for their side to do violence and be victorious over the other side, that pleased him just as much as when the other side prayed to him that there would be victory. Interestingly, when Jesus came and talked about significance of peace and was known as the Prince of Peace, that must have come as real news to Mars that he wasn't the most important person on the planet. And then I think maybe the most surprised god or goddess of all was Hestia, also known as Vesta. She was the goddess of the hearth, the home, the family. And in every town in, uh, in Turkey and Greece and, and Italy, there would be a small temple or at least a room dedicated to her and the town's fire or flame would be kept in that room. Sort of like the Olympic flame, it never went out. 
And because fire in their day is what we would say electricity or gas uh, is to our day, your, your family couldn't afford to be without fire. And if your fire went out, then you went to her temple or to her place, you bowed the knee to her and say, oh, my home is the most important thing. I need your fire for my home, for my family, and then you could get your fire lit and take it back to your house. It must have come as a great surprise to her that our families are not more important than the God of the universe. It must have stunned her to hear Jesus say this, that whoever loves their mother or father or sister or brother more than they love me is not worthy of me. She must have fallen out of her palace to think that anything could ever be more significant than a human being's own family. And yet there it was. I tell you this because when you pray the Lord's Prayer, it is a very revolutionary prayer. And I am not suggesting for a moment this morning that you do not pray about your health and you do not pray about um, your family. You do not pray about your significant romantic relationship and and you do not um, uh, pray uh, about your financial needs. And you, uh, I'm not suggesting that for a moment. But what I'm suggesting is this, that Jesus clearly taught and the people before him clearly taught that those things were all secondary to praying first that the kingdom of God would advance. That what God wanted, what God needed from us and from this planet would be first and these things would come second. Now they would come and that's what Jesus taught. He said this in Matthew 6:33: seek first the kingdom of God and then everything else comes. Put what God wants first and then look around and see what your health is like. Put what God wants first and then check your relationships and and check your home and see if they have not come into better alignment. But the minute you put any of those things ahead of God, you are worshiping someone other than the God of the universe. And you are worshiping another God and praying for their kingdom, not God's kingdom. Here's my suggestion this morning, that when you come to pray the Lord's Prayer, that you understand what you're asking for is that God's will be done in your life and in our world. Uh, When you pray the Lord's Prayer, you're saying, God, I have a lot of needs. I know you're interested. You care about my needs. But I want to tell you that what you want is going to come first and that it's going to come first on this earth. When we pray for God's kingdom to come, it doesn't mean that we we sit around and, and just hang out until we go to heaven. When Jesus prayed for the kingdom to come, he meant that earth needs to become more like heaven. And it needs to become more like heaven because, like Marcia said, we do those things that God wants done. When we ask for the kingdom to come, we're volunteering for God to help make it happen through us. And then one thing you really ought to know. When you pray for God's kingdom to come, you are upsetting every power in this world that has a vested interest in being more important to you than God. And you better expect that there'll be some trouble. Uh, Bishop N.T. Wright made an interesting observation. He said the Apostle Paul lived so much of his ministry to teach the world that Jesus was Lord, not Caesar. To teach the world that Jesus was Lord and not the gods and goddesses of Mount Olympus. 
and look at Paul's life because of it. A number of times arrested, one time pushed off a cliff and then stoned, comes to his his, um, own headquarters in Jerusalem and is arrested, Uh, ends up sailing to Rome so that Caesar himself could find out that politicians are not the most important force on the planet, and the sea shipwrecks him. Even nature seems to revolt against this news that God is the king. When you start putting God's kingdom first, don't expect everybody just say, great idea. You will run into opposition. But know this, that when you seek that kingdom first, parts of your life that have not come together will come together and they will be more whole and more meaningful than they have ever been. When we come to God and say, you're first, then other things in our life fall into place. Dallas Willard, I think, said it best at a conference this summer. He said, you can't be about God's kingdom until you resign being head of your own kingdom. Until you take the keys to your kingdom and give them to God, you're not going to be about God's kingdom. But when that happens, then your life will start to come into order. Stories told about a guy who's really struggling, and so he wants to make a deal with God. And so he draws up a list of all these things that he promises to do for God and then signs it and gives it to God and says, Here, here's all the things I will do for you. God looks at the paper, pushes it aside, gives the man a blank piece of paper and says, Here, sign this. I'll fill it in for you. That's what it is. To pray your kingdom come is to say, God, it's what you want. And what you want is what I'll pray for. And what you want is what I do until your kingdom finally comes in its fullness on earth.